Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the collect of the day for the coming week. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Welcome back to our Triune Pod, Nick and Ben. Nick, what's going on? Uh, not a lot, man. We talked 48 hours ago, and uh, <laughs> I have nothing else to add to this conversation. <laughs> well, that's true. We have a special episode for you all. We didn't even announce this on our Instagram. So this truly is a freebie and unexpected. And we thought for this great feast day, we'd bring back our favorite guest, the one and only Scott Kent Jones. Scott, what's going on? It's great to be here. I love it. I love the show. I'm thrilled to be in the house with y'all. I'm a, I'm not just a um, I'm not just a guest. I'm a fan and a listener. So so this Ooh. is a, well, Scott. It's really, it's really great to be with you guys. I'm, I, it's a privilege every time I I get to do this with y'all. Man, anytime you want. Okay, I got a, I got a, just a little softball question for you. Um, Ezra Klein wrote an opinion piece today in the, in the Times. Uh, he asked a question, and I want to ask. This is the question I want to ask you, Scott. Is the future just a spike protein stamping on a human face forever? How do you feel about the Delta variant, Scott? We've never talked about COVID, where you, where, how, you, how you've dealt with this. G- give, me, give me your take. So I, I volunteered to be in the Moderna trial. So I was, a, I was in the vaccine trial, and it was an early kind of an early adopter, as they say. <laughs> but, but I... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that is the, this is the interesting thing, right? Like, so I don't like, you know, first off, what's great about everybody in COVID, everybody's now an epidemiologist, right? Like everybody on Facebook is an epidemiologist, but hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I guess that from my understanding of how the, the vaccines work is that they're keyed into the spike protein. And so as long as I guess, the protein doesn't change in the spikes. We're good. Yeah. But what yeah. happens if the, if the spike protein changes, yeah, then, we're, we're then, then the vaccine's so good. So, so I feel really good right now. As long as we got that spike protein. Are going. you, are you like a risk adverse person or would you say you're pretty risk tolerant? Like where, I, how did you handle the pandemic? You know, and I'm way. risk tolerant. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I try to be a good citizen and, yeah take things seriously and wear masks and things, but like, no, I'm not. Yeah. On risk stuff. I'm not, I'm not risk averse. I mean, did it dominate you the virus? Did it dominate your life or no? Nah. I mean, well, to the degree that it did everybody's life. I mean, it, you know, like it changed everybody's life, but I don't think it, it, uh, but I was trying to get you to do a a Trump impression there, but I guess I just didn't, I was too subtle. It didn't dominate me. I was so powerful. (laughs) The virus, I was so powerful in response to the virus. I took the vaccine very strongly. Trump, it's so funny. You know what's really interesting about Donald Trump? Uh, No, but please tell me. The the, the use of the adverbs. Like, I've never seen a public figure that uses, it's very powerfully and strongly. Actually, we're dealing with this very strongly, very strongly. Like, I'm just like, dude, like, 
it's just interesting. It's like the one day he showed up for class was like adverbs. Yeah. Totally. Oh, this is a great part of speech. I love this. I'm going to, I'm your great English teacher. <gasps> And I'm going to really capitalize on this part of speech. My favorite, my favorite Trump thing is the way that he would just like, kind of like tease out like potential conspiracies with just the phrase like, oh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, we're going to look into it. It's very interesting. My wife and I do that all the time now. Like, oh, that's very interesting. You know, we'll look into that. But anyway, I love it. Well, I want to get to this collect and hear Scott's brilliance. So, so uh, let's pray. Oh, God who on the holy mount revealed to chosen witnesses your well-beloved son, wonderfully transfigured in raiment white and glistening, mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquietude of this world, may by faith behold the king in his beauty, who with you, O Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Scott, what have you got for us? So let me just say to your listeners, if if I was going to um, recommend anything to do, if you were going to talk about the transfiguration, if I was going to recommend something short to read, there is Pope Benedict wrote a couple books on the life of Jesus. And his section on the transfiguration is outstanding. It's in the first volume of his Jesus books. And he points something out that's really interesting because here the transfiguration happens in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And he says something that I think is very instructive, that like basically um, all the Jewish major feasts had these had this kind of tripartite. There's this kind of, there's three layers to these festivals, right? So they all originate from some sort of nature religion, right? And, and kind of connect to the creator and creation, right? So they're, they're probably uh, echoing other religious feasts and things of the Israelites' neighbors and things, right? But then they become remembrances of God's hist- actions in history. So something that's a nature feast actually becomes something where, oh my gosh, we reinvent it to remember like the mighty acts of God, like something God has done. But then they don't just look back to creation and history. They also always have this kind of messianic dimension where they, they don't just look back to creation and history, but they look forward. And so it's really interesting that, that that's just one interesting thing that the transfiguration happens in the context of the feast of tabernacles, right? Where, where, and so it's interesting because this is, the Feast of Tabernacles is pointing forward, not just backward, but forward to this messianic figure. Share with the uh, Feast of Tabernacles for our friends who might not know what that is. This is where you're, um, you're, you're, you're putting up like tents, like basically you're, you're, you know, Israel's sort of commemorating, I think, their, their own wilderness wanderings, right? And so you, and this still sometimes goes on, right? You see like um, in certain Orthodox Jewish communities where there's tents put up, like there's little tabernacles put up and things. And so, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting sort of commemoration of where God is with these folks, right? Like with his people in the wilderness and they're on the run, you know, and this is, it's so great. Like I love um, one of the things that I think is great about um, a lot of uh, Anglican and Catholic traditions. I really like unleavened bread for the Eucharist. Yeah, that's what we use. We just introduced it at the at the new church, actually. It's dope. 
because because we're because it's eschatological and it's on the run right like god's feeding us on the run and god's people are always kind of on the pilgrimage run you know between this life and the next between this world and the world of future glory and so there's something very powerful getting an unleavened wafer right because unleavened bread is the bread you eat when you're a pilgrim on the run and i i, I just love it and i think there's something about eating like the eucharistically like i just it's fine like i'm not like a, 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 an angry i'm like i won't take the eucharist if it's a loaf of bread but um but i just do like the unle the unleavened wafer because it reminds us that we're a pilgrim people you know and it's it's a great reminder to to know that you're a pilgrim mm, you know because yeah. it, it situates you in life in, in really interesting ways and i think and it's just honest because we're all um we're all kind of terminally ill and we're all in the run. Mm. Yeah. The two, two things that really, well, two words and that really jumped out to me in the prayer are, um, how do you say this word? Raiment, raiment white and glistening. Um, you know, the, obviously the Lord clothed who wraps himself with light as a garment. You know, I think that's Psalm 104, but, uh, any kind of, any thoughts there about like, or anything maybe from the book, that Pope Benedict book, or things you have read on just the significance of that blinding white light that it kind of emits from the Lord as he is wonderfully transfigured. Anything there that's like we could draw out? And that, that's it. That's not a rhetorical question. That's, that's a real question. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the transfiguration is that it's, I think it's, it's sort of the, the ultimate lesson in Christian anthropology right, on the way of life. And so what happens is Jesus is exalted and then dies. So it's not that, like, I think oftentimes we think of, like, that the, the way of life is sort of, like, it, it's interesting that, that um, it, there's a kind of prosperity understanding of, in certain religious circles where, okay, if you just get it right, um, you'll, you'll experience real deliverance and you'll live this victorious Christian life. And it's actually the opposite here, right? The, the light, the blinding light, right? Reveal, what does it reveal? It reveals that the way of life is death. And Jesus is brightest before his life will be darkest. And I think, you know, Paul's all the great, you know, who, who Ben knows and, um, is, is kind of a, one of my theological heroes said the great, you know, I remember him giving this, I remember listening to him give some talks and you know, he's like, well, here's the thing. And people say, Paul, your message is so dark and it's so dark and it's, it's good, but it's not for young people. And Paul said, no, it is for young people because if you get the message, you get to live your life posthumously. And, you know, this is Jesus's posthumous moments, right? Which is be what's beautiful about it is, is, the revelation is the gift of going to the cross. Wait, what, what do you mean by that living posthumously? Yeah, that basically when you get the message of the gospel is death, mm. is death to yourself. You get to live posthumously. <laughs> and you're like, man, I can crucify all this stuff that I thought was meaningful. Be, you can crucify. And, and, and that's where the blinding light comes, right? When you see that, the stuff that we are thinking is valuable and precious is oh, really wow. paltry. You know, <laughs> and, nah, that's and this really is, good. it's amazing that Jesus is, is this, you know, 
it, it's the bright light comes and what happens? He doesn't start a mega church. He doesn't go to Joe Olstein's church and start lecturing. What happens is the light shines the road, shines, you know, the path to the cross. Mm. Ben, I don't know if you've titled the Transfiguration Day homily uh, "Living Posthumously Lit," but it is waiting for you. <laughs> that is a that's a great title. That's that's really really good. Yeah, I kind of I mean I feel like this connects to what you're saying, but I do like the notion that the the God of the burning bush is the God on the cross, and that seems to be I think we talked about this last time back in whatever it was February when we talk about the transfiguration, but essentially the transfiguration and the crucifixion being this kind of diptych um, that you can kind of fold. Oh, I, I remember, I remember diptych gate. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean like you, and I think it's like, you can't have one without the other. Uh, and just like you were kind of saying there, you know, I've, I've had some mountaintop experiences and the Christian faith and just in my life. Um, and I expect to stay there forever. And yet there are like, the cross-shaped moments, the deaths, the little d deaths, the loss of relationship, the loss of a job, et cetera. I mean, you're obviously saying something much more profound than that, but I'm just connecting that to the journey, this pilgrimage on the ground that we all experience in the day-to-day. Anything you want to add to that, Nick? Well, yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, just, I'm kind of, my world is kind of getting rocked by this living posthumously thing. I've never heard that in all my Paul Zoll content. That like I've been so that to connect to something that we've talked a little bit earlier before on the pod about the idea that holiness is nerdiness, like mm. that you um, the gospel frees you to kind of pursue your own interests, like in a kind of unapologetically, like if you're not looking to justify yourself through your career or through some kind of status acquisition or the perfect family, you're like frees up all this like literal time and emotional energy to do the things that you love. And, uh, you know, there's, of course, the Benjamin Button, like youth is wasted on the young. Uh, And if you really get the gospel and you've really died and you've seen through the light of the transfiguration that all the stuff that you would spend your entire life trying to acquire is like meaningless. It's just like gone in an instant. It's vapid. It allows you that kind of freedom to like be a kid, you know, to be joyful and to just embrace the goodness of creation and the goodness of life just kind of on its own terms. Um, yeah, that's, I don't know. I, I think that's yeah. a pretty interesting thought. Which you would think would be the reaction to like the YOLO of like 10 years ago, right? You only live YOLO. once. <laughs> life ten, is super ten, short. 10 years ago. I texted that like two hours ago. <laughs> That's how cool we are, guys. Remember last week, or I guess last episode, Nick talking about being cool, <laughs> yeah. not so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you'd think it's like, you know, if you only have you know, 60, 70 years, like, then do what you want. But in my experience, the YOLO people are the people most concerned about the career. It's like my friend Adrian, who we've mentioned for the third podcast in a row, all about the status. Whereas from what we're saying, in fact, it seems to be the opposite. For us, those of us who feel like, who think that we're going to live forever, we are the ones who are free to get nerdy, uh, to why, why not be crucified to all of that now rather than wait until we're dead. Um, yeah, it's uh, proleptic. Is that the word? I think it's proleptic there. I love it. Any other thoughts while we're at it? Man, I just want to add yeah. that raiment means clothing, which is a great word. We should bring that back. I like that. Yeah, Yo, you got some fly raiment on, bro. 
Yolo, Raymond. I love that Raymond. You're looking dumb in that Raymond. Yeah, so I, I want to read something from Benedict's book. Um, that I, I find quite moving. Uh, all right, I'm not going to get emotional. Uh, Too late. He says, it's only as they go down from the mountain that Peter has to learn once again that the Messianic age is first and foremost the age of the cross and that the transfiguration, the experience of becoming light from and with the Lord requires us to be burned by the light of the passion and so transformed. And then he says, these connections also shed new light on the meaning of the fundamental claim of the prologue to John's gospel where the evangelist sums up the mystery of Jesus and the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Indeed, the Lord has pitched the tent of his body among us and has thus inaugurated the messianic age. Following this line of thought, Gregory of Nyssa reflected on the connection between the feast of tabernacles and the incarnation in a magnificent text. He says that the feast of tabernacles, though constantly celebrated, remained unfulfilled for the true feast of tabernacles had not yet come according to the words of the prophet however an illusion allusion to psalm 118 verse 27 god the lord of all things has revealed himself to us in order to complete the construction of the tabernacle of our ruined habitation human nature i love that and i think you know it's interesting because i think you know if you've if you grow up in the Northeast, I mean, America's a pretty young country, but like it's, but in the Northeast, it's, it's one of the older parts of the country. And they're, you know, they're often little like historic placards in like suburban Philadelphia, Newark, the Continental Congress met here, or, you know, this church hosted this, you know, and, and George Washington, you know, stayed here and this inn some night. And it's this hallowed moment, right? It's like, well, wow, the father of the country stayed in this little, in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and there's a commemorative sign. And I think that like the incarnation and, and, and this connection with the Feast of Tabernacles, it's like at the worst part of your story, at the part where you feel most abandoned, where you feel like, man, it's over. There's this sign, the king of the universe stayed here. He's, he, he's tabernacled in the ruined habitation of human nature and rebuilt it from the inside out. And so I think that that's the, the, the beauty of this, of the, the, this tabernacling, you know, that, that yeah, like that, the, the power of the gospel and the message of the gospel is, man, Christ tabernacled here. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what you've been through, that he's here. Like, he took up residence right here, right in your story, right in the place where you feel embarrassed and ashamed and that you don't have it together and you can't measure up. And he's like, hey, I slept right here. And, you know, I spent the night here and this place is sacred and it's a place where God can meet you. Mm, man, that's so Amen. good. Amen. Yeah. The only thing I want to add before Nick prays us out is everyone needs to listen to Sufjan Stevens' Transfiguration song, which some of the lyrics really do connect to what Scotty's been saying all along. So that's all I got. Oh God, who on the holy mount revealed to chosen witnesses your well-beloved son, wonderfully transfigured in raiment white and glistening mercifully grant that we being delivered from the disquietude of this world 
may by faith behold the King and his beauty, who with you, O Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. How about that episode of Our Triune Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite.